Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Fantastic. Uh, Terrence is part of a, a ceasefire model that has been modified. Listeners who have been following me for the couple of years now, and you, uh, uh, you at the beginning of the show, were discussing the way violence can have a holistic approach, the way violence is a disease, and way vi- the way violence can actually be interrupted. When you look at what is called random, random actually means equal probability of none or all. And many policemen and emergency room workers don't believe that violence is predictable. And the ceasefire model, started by Dr. Slutkin, uh, shows you that it is. I'm certainly someone who knows that it is through my epidemiology training. And our guest, Terrence, has been working on a new intervention program, and it's called uh, CRED, C-R-E-D. And I heard about Terrence's organization from the ClevelandObserver.com, which is a nonprofit, news, nonprofit newspaper, web platform, and um mobile platform that discusses urban issues. I am a writer, and I write there as an epidemiologist. Um, So I saw, in the issue that I was in, I saw the article, Chicago's Holistic Healing Approach, and I'll send out a link. If you're following me on Twitter, On Air Angel, I'll send you the link. And it says, Getting Ahead of the Violence. So um, Peter Cunningham it's part of the program. I reached out to him, and his innovation makes the difference between recidivism, if you will, or solving problems with violence. So Terrence is on the line. I would like for him to introduce himself again, how we got connected to it, and we can discuss some of the issues. Um, how you doing? Thanks for that. Um, my name is Terrence Henderson, and I am the Outreach Supervisor for Chicago Career Staff. Okay, Terrence. So tell us a little bit about, tell the listeners about the holistic healing approach. Okay, um, the holistic human approach. I mean, everything that we do in life, we do it because we're programmed to do it. So, you know, like violence, we recognize that violence is a disease because, you know, you're not born violent. You don't be born ready to commit atrocities. Uh, that all it's determined by the circumstances that you're living in, the conditions, the family situation that you're in, the people that you're around, the the, the type of programming that you watch and listen to. So um, we have to have the same type of holistic approach to deprogram these men and women the way that they were programmed. Um, so, I mean, like, we look at the different pillars, and it's not just – it's not fair for me to just work directly with an individual and then send him back to the environment without understanding what environment I'm sending him to. Um, And if the violent is not on the same page as what we're programming, um, we would have to do work with that family as well. So, you know, the holistic approach is me working with that individual, working with his surrounding areas, his group members, the guys that he interacts with, um, working with his family circle, whether that be his eternal family or 
whoever he deems, that person deems, is his family. Um, and taking that approach, giving them street information, street knowledge and safety tips, um, giving him soft skills and life mentors as well as giving him counseling clinically and making sure that he understands what the workforce demands are um, and how he can succeed in that field. And and, make, and the maintenance of everything is the end result. You know, so after we go through him and outreach and him having his life coach and him going through workforce development and counseling, what do I do on the back end to make sure that he's consistent with what he's been learning and programming and consistent with his change and, and attitude and his life behaviors? If you just tuned in, we're less than five minutes into this episode of Victims to Victorious. And each episode looks at public health solutions to the pandemic of gun violence around the world. And we have often focused on the city of Chicago. Chicago is an amazing city for African-Americans. They have some of the first, the first, first, for instance, the first black municipal firefighters uh, joined the force around 1872 or so and uh, colored segregated brigades. However, it's just a note of how Chicago has had many firsts. Chicago was founded by a mixed-race African-American person. I pronounce his name Disabla. Some people say Disable. And on the phone is Terrence, who is talking to us about a new program that Chicago is implementing to reduce the morbidity and mortality of gun violence. Those of you who have been listening to the show, know that the producer, the line producer is Lisa Rose Rodriguez, an epidemiologist. Where Scotty is the founder of the Black Talk Radio Network and the technical producer. And one of the themes of our show that has always, always been consistent, that the reduction in the numbers of the shootings and the firearms assaults would occur with more awareness that this is actually a public health problem. It's just not black people acting a fool. So Chicago's holistic healing approach, according to the article, and I'm going to read some of the article because Terrence touched it, and when we are broadcasting, we assume that people don't really know what we're talking about, so we, so we like to define things. So um, Terrence gave us an overview of the holistic approach, and your title is Outreach Director, correct? I am the Outreach Supervisor. Yes, our director is Curtis Toller. Your director is Curtis Toller. So naturally, um, you can define define what street outreach is, Terrence. Define that for the followers and the listeners. Okay, street outreach is um, a group of men and women who are from the lifestyle, engaging directly. What lifestyle directly, is that? Define the um, lifestyle. From, from a violent or street lifestyle, um, you know, was one of the guys, men and women, who who was the creators of the violence or on the diff- in the different neighborhoods and things of that nature. Um, when you are out and you are creating an outreach team, it's super important for you to, first and foremost, hire within that area. Like, the outreach workers have to know directly the people, the groups, the landscapes, the geographics of the whole area for them to be accepted. But it's, again, it's men and women directly working with the most at-risk individuals to be shot or to shoot 
We focus on violence interrupting, um, conflict resolution, proactive peace buildings, as well as non-aggression and peace treaties to get um, through to these individuals to create lasting peace. So that explains that you have some very important things I want to unpack here. First of all, you're able to um, interrupt the violence. And the only way to interrupt or install a um, barrier to the societal pathogen is through a prevention. That's classic public health. And then I mentioned at the top of the show that um, your project emanates from an original idea that's much older on the old school word for what you do was ceasefire, which was a public right. It was a public health approach to reducing killings and shootings. And then then, um, I'll let the listeners know about how old the model is. In any article that I read into the um, show, I will have it posted by the technical producer, Scotty, on the Black Talk Radio Network and embedded in the um, the download. So this comes from the, um, I believe, yeah, the National Institute of Justice. So in 2009, uh, mm-hmm. the idea of violence interruption began to take hold. And the article says, in the bloodshed in some of the windy city's toughest neighborhoods declined substantially with the advent of the ceasefire violence reduction program. Of course, the Windy City is is a um, pseudonym for Chicago. A rigorous evaluation of the program sponsored by the National Institute of Justice confirmed anecdotal evidence that had already led officials in other cities to adopt Chicago's ceasefire model. Researchers found that ceasefire had a significant positive impact on many of the neighborhoods in which the program was implemented, including a decline of 16 to 28% in the number of shootings in four of the seven sites studied. Overall, the program areas grew noticeably safer in six of the seven sites, and we concluded there was evidence that decreases in the size and intensity of shooting hotspots were linked to the introduction of ceasefire in four of these areas. In two other areas, shooting hotspots waned, but evidence that this decline could be linked to ceasefire was inconclusive. So ceasefire, the ceasefire model, I'm still reading from the article. This is, if you're following me online, this is from the National Institute of Justice, which, of course, has funded some of these projects in the past. The ceasefire uh, model uses various tools to target this violence. And I'm, again, reading from the article. Uh, The author is... Nancy Ritter, and we will post the link post-production. So the ceasefire model says, in order to reduce gun violence, you must, and I'm quoting, community mobilization, a major public education program, services such as GED, GED programs, anger management, counseling, drug or alcohol treatment, and help finding child care for looking for a job that can improve the lives of at risk youth, including gang members. I said gang bangers. It says gang members. However, I'm used to the nomenclature. So Terrence is explaining to us how he's implemented, how he's one of the people who implements this, this revamped model in Chicago. And I'm unpacking some of the things that he said. Um, if you just tuned in, you are listening to Victims to Victorious. I'm Angel Fall. And our discussion 
is on the new violence interruption model that has its roots in the 2009 model. So Terrence, tell us how exactly violence is interrupted in the street cred program. Um, violence is interrupted in so many different ways. Um, we assess the situation. First and foremost, um, because of the LTO that we've built, and that term is defined as the license to operate, we're giving the right to move around and delegate with these groups in their own territories. Um, that's first and foremost key. Um, once you have the right of way to actually engage with these men, um, you assess the situation and you interrupt the violence by changing their location. Um, sometimes we have to sit there and babysit the blocks. Um, the most the most effective way um, that we've been able to interrupt the violence is to just be transparent with these groups. Um, moments of peace is what really makes them strive towards more peace. And if it's the lack of communication between the groups is what's really hindering the problem. Um, it's a problem that law enforcement really can't conquer because, you know, street members, street organized members won't communicate with law enforcement. That's where we come in to play. Like we have the jurisdiction to come and they confide in us. They delegate with us because first and foremost, we're of that or previously from that life. So we amplify the mirror image. They know what we used to do. And a lot of them don't believe that change is possible. But when they see us, we are mirror images of change actually being visible. And we always identify that but then we just use what we can for the situation to just make the situation mitigate itself. Um, if the groups know, like if I'm into it with a certain group and something happens to someone in my area, one of my group members, I'm immediately going to believe that it's the group that I'm into it with right now. And that's not always the case. Um, when you have people that can be the voice beyond the scenes um, from one group to next, that's where you'll be able to understand, like, okay, this did happen, but it didn't happen from this area. So it wouldn't be a point of mine to go and try to retaliate on someone who I didn't know wasn't involved in this situation. Um, we just use different tools in our tool belts, reflective listening, uh, just understanding what the problem is, um, and actually replacing the violence with things that's obtainable for them, easy, obtainable goals. Um, and it's really, it's really interesting because we work off numbers, off data, and it's proven that when you have groups, even back on when ceasefire model was created, when you do have groups of individuals who actually step in and mediate and try to resolve these conflicts, um, you have a higher success rate and less violence than you have in spots where that presence is not available. So I would like to ask you to find for the followers and the listeners, what is a group? Is a group of is a group of people who are codified from a gang affiliation? Is a group of people who have a geographic area that they're just protecting? Is a group um, a um, collection of known criminals? Could you define the group? 
Um, okay, so now the group is so different than it used to be. Um, the group dynamics um, of past used to be where group members would actually be of the same organization, um, whether they were gang banging or just a member of that gang. You would have square mouths of the same organized entity where now, and they did do everything like boundary protection, you know, make money together, protect each other. Um, that splintered after the demise of um, the Chicago public housing. Once the buildings came down, the neighborhoods got splintered. So um, it's not, we don't have the square mileage and the organization structure that it used to have. So now we do have just groups of individuals that may be from the same block that just protect each other. You may have individuals from multifaceted different organizations that just geographically have the same enemies. So enemies of my enemies, we friends because we have the same enemies. Um, we have groups that come together like that, and and more so they're, they're termed as cliques because all of these individuals may have a large organization that they are a part of, but they still identify themselves as a group. And it could be anything from a a friend of all of ours being lost in gun violence and we'll rename this area where he's from this block or this world and we'll all come together and collectively go against anyone who opposes that person, try to retaliate on anything that happens to him or and try to defend that territory. So it's it's really confusing now, um, because it's so much and it's splintered into such a a small piece. So you got guys that's one block away from each other that two totally different groups or organizations or whatever they call themselves that's actually warm with each other. Whereas I would have had to go a, a distance to get into it with people that wasn't, I mean, that, that people was opposed to my group. Now it's a, a few square feet. I could go out my backyard across the alley and now I'm in enemy territory. So they just going out the back door and they can commit atrocities, and now we're right back in zone. So it's definitely different now, and um, that's one of the reasons why we had to take a different approach than the ceasefire model, which ceasefire did work for its time, but, like, they were able to go to the leaders of the organizations that had structure, and they can get their messaging passed down that way, where we have to deal with unorganized situations with no structure, um, no leadership, and it's no age boundaries. So, you know, um, we understand that it's violence being committed by individuals as young as 11 and 12, and we understand that it's, it's some men and women that's 35 and 36 that still has an 18 or 19-year-old mentality. Therefore, he still carries himself in that manner. So we don't have the age restriction. And um, we have to tackle it in a whole different way because the problem is it's so complex that we wouldn't be able to just say, hey, we're going to go to this leadership and get the information passed down. We have to generally go directly to the individuals or small group of individuals. And we would have to, to find their leadership, if it is any, and most of the time, sometimes their leadership is 17, 18, 
15, 16, 20 years old. Um, so that presents a challenge in itself. Um, but I do believe that when you do work the way that we've been working across the whole board, not just directly with that person, but working with their oppositions as well. And we give them the, we give them the vibe and we let them know, like we are for the community. It's not a side picking, but we don't want to be labeled as, you know, where we just help certain individuals from certain organizations. We help all the guys and, we let them know, like, man, just like we getting to know you and we helping you, we helping the opposition and the guys that you're not, that you're not um, liking to, and we're all just trying to get the same common approach. We're trying to get to the same mission to reduce that violence. And once you begin to talk to these individuals, you see that some of them are trapped. A lot of them are trapped, and they're only in these situations because of the boundaries where they live or because of the gas that they are around, but they really don't want to be in the situation. I want uh, the followers to know we're talking to Terrence Henderson, and he is describing the outreach role that he has for Chicago Cred. He's also describing the way they are mediating um, violence from interrupting between various types of groups, and he defined groups for us. What I, and you also discussed how young some of the, um, I'm going to call them victimizers right now, how young some of the young men are who have bought into the street culture. And this article is from the violence, uh, chop.edu. And the article says, in 2018, 4,775 young people ages 20, I'm sorry, ages 10 to 24, were victims of homicide, an average of 13 a day. According to a 2019 study, gun injuries are the second leading cause of death among U.S. children and teens and the leading cause of death among high school students. So that is a, that's an outstanding statistic that's out there, and it ties into our guest um, information about how young these people are who have bought into the gang culture. Um, much of it is because of, um, you explained that belonging piece, that they're not belonging to a cohesive unit at home. They feel trapped, for instance. So one of the things I want to ask you, Terrence, is if you get a 911 call, or how is it that you, do you respond to shootings? And how is it that you find these people who you want to do the prevention for? Okay, so thanks for asking that. Um, we definitely do not get calls from 911. Um, one of the reasons why our program is being successful is because of the professional understanding that we have developed with law enforcement in our district. Um, and it's just that. We have an understanding. We understand what their job is, and we let them do that. And they are beginning to to develop an understanding of what we do and how we are able to do what we do. Our information, any tips or any knowledge that we get comes directly from the community. Um, our goal is to go out and canvas the community on a daily basis. Um, we have the outreach team um, for Cred South began in 2018, June of 2018. And from then, um, it was our job to just to just um, communicate with everyone in the district, that's um, stakeholders, that's 
group members, community members, um, law enforcement, park district, jobs, everyone. Let them know what our mission is, and that is to reduce gun violence in a transformative way um, and to provide the community with as many resources as possible. So we get our calls directly from the community. Um, and a lot of times it'd be from the men that's committing these atrocities before, sometimes before and sometimes after. You know what I'm saying? Like we'll get the call from them and they'll let us know what's going on in the neighborhoods or what someone did to someone in the neighborhood or sometimes what I feel like I want to do before I do it. And that be them reaching out or cry out for someone to stop me from doing what I think that I want to do, but I really didn't want to do it because I wouldn't have said anything. I just would have did it. Um, so that's how we get informed directly from the community itself. Yes, Scotty. That's how come we get to know about trust and how important trust is when people are doing outreach, how important trust is when you are building cohesion in a community. So often black and brown people are subjected to outsiders who are instructing them as to what to do. So Terrence um, opened the um, door for the discussion about gang members. And Scotty, our technical producer and founder of the Black Talk Radio Project, he has something to contribute about gang banging. Um, yeah, Black Talk Media Project is our nonprofit. Black oh, Talk Radio I- Network is the mm-hmm. network. That's okay, Angel. Uh-huh. I That's made okay. that mistake before. You should throw me off the air, but go ahead. <laughs> it's not that serious. <laughs> it's not that serious. But I want to thank Terrence for coming on. But as I listened to him describe the reasons for people joining gangs, it just took me back to the 19, 1978, 1979, 12, 13 years old, um, Young Boys Incorporated, I never wanted to join. It's just that peer pressure, um, you yeah. know, and having to fight people, you know, uh, every day. And as the old saying goes, it's better, you know, either you're going to join them or you're going to fight them every day. And I didn't have, like, the family members there, like an older brother, older cousin live on the other side of Detroit. And nobody, so, you know, I was the big brother. I had to look out for my little brother, my little sister. And when people are ganging up on you every day, you get tired and then you put on them colors. And then from there, you know, you mentioned the people with in their 30s still got that mindset. I don't know if it's so much of a mindset that they're they're intellectually immature to the point of an 18-year-old. I think that's just that hustling because of poverty and the lack of jobs and what have you, because it was like when I got into that life, um, it was, this guy was in his thirties. Um, and he was the one who was putting the heroin packets in our hands to go stand on the corner and sell for $5 and, and what have you. And so, you know, it's a, it, a lot of adults be manipulating the youth as well because, again, of the lack of economic activity for all. And so when I was talking to Angel earlier um, today about your program, and she had mentioned some about, you know, um, and you could correct us if if we're wrong on the information about offering uh, people in those circumstances where economics could be the driving factor of jobs and help them find and give them employment. Can you... Please absolutely. That is that is absolutely correct. Um, what we've noticed is that 
the economic piece of uh, people's problems is really a big piece. Um, so everything that's done through Chicago Cred has been incentivized, and that's another helpful tool that we use. Um, and that starts in outreach. As soon as we get these guys um, in intake, we we do a safety assessment, we do a clinical assessment, and then we put them um, on a stipend-based payroll. As long as they're co- completing and committed to going through the different phases, they get compensated for everything that they do. Um, those stipends start at 125 a week, um, and it goes up as they go through phases. And what we've also learned, because when we first got started in 2016, we we believed that, you know, if we help these young men and women get jobs, then that'll help the virus. And that was a problem, but we wasn't giving these individuals the tools to, to sustain these jobs. We wasn't giving them the soft skills that they needed. We wasn't giving them the counseling that they needed um, or the support. We was just getting them the jobs. So um, the job element is the final stage of our program. Um, they go through outreach, and then they go through programming phase one and two. Um, the program elements include individual life coaching, um, individual therapies, cognitive behavior therapy, different kinds of workshops, as well as if they do not have their high school diploma, we enroll them into a program called Penn Foster, where they're able to obtain their high school diploma um, via um over the internet, they use their phones, they can use tablets and be at home. And we also have weekly day, we have daily classroom sessions where they can come in for a few hours and get the tutoring that they need and get help with any of the educational needs that they, that they may have. Upon graduating, they receive a $500 stipend for that. Um, and it's just, and that's just before they get to the jobs part, employment and training. And that's just for us to help get these guys the experience that they need to ultimately find success and the longevity in these jobs. Um, so we give them the training. And um, once we find out what it is that they're good at, that they like to do, we don't want to just push, okay, here go a warehouse job, here go a, a grocery or a fast food job on you. Um, throughout the program phases, we see what it is that you're good at, what it is that you have done before and what it is that you don't like. And we send you through a series of different opportunities to see if you like doing this or if you can adapt to doing that. And once you agree to that, try to get you, you know, like the certificates that you need to first be compensated the correct way and actually be looked at as viable for that position. You know what I'm saying? So I believe that that has been super helpful, um, not just getting the guys the jobs, but actually them the tools to sustain those jobs um, is very helpful. That that makes a difference. That makes a difference between your model and the original ceasefire model and that the employment was a referral. It wasn't part of the actual prevention. So that's really important for the listeners to hear that overcoming poverty reduces gun violence. Also, not having a high school diploma increases the uh, the trend to solve your um, conflicts with a firearm. We're going to take a station break. Uh, This version of Victims to Victorious will be 25 minutes. We have a caller 
We're going to ask the caller to hang on while we identify the station rate uh, break. This is Victims to Victorious. When we come back on the other side of the break, we will give you, the caller, a, tan- a chance to weigh in, and you will be speaking with uh, Terrence Henderson from Chicago Cred. My name is Angel Fall. We thank you for listening to Victorious, Victims to Victorious, and we'll be back momentarily. Hi, the Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platform. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. Thank you for listening to Victims to Victoria. It's Terrence. Henderson from Chicago Crest is my guest today. Caller, can you please identify yourself and what is it that you would like to contribute to today's conversation? Khalil Reed, and I would like to say I'm, I appreciate you guys trying to do something because um, too many people like to play mind games with this type of stuff. Like people, you got like, you know, yourself, like Jesse Lee Peterson. They don't want gun control, but yet they want to deflect on black-on-black crime. And then you mm-hmm. got, like, people that, like the uh, NRA, that they don't want gun control, but then they don't want to come up with any solutions, real solutions. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you don't want gun control, fine, but come up with some real solutions and don't be against gun control and then not have any solutions when it comes to black-on-black crime. So what is one and of I, your solutions? My solutions is what is like, you know, coming up with some type of um, compromise or some type of common ground, but also it's like doing what he's doing. But another thing is like coming up with like um, ways to, you know, have <clears throat> like where people can have their guns, and but they're they're also educated on not doing this violence and they're educated on the consequences and treating, teaching others to treat others others how they want to be treated, but also like, you know, allowing other guns to be in circulation, guns that are like much more safer, like having people pick and choose which type of guns they want, but at the same time, you know, teaching them the the correct ways of using a gun and not to, you know, solve all their problems with the gun. And also like um, the way I also feel is like if if you have a gun out in the street and someone calls on you, that's the price. That's not. That's the price you pay for not having gun control. So I mean, like, and then like letting these people know, like the people like Jesse Lee Peterson, they don't really care when they bring a black on black crime. They just bring it. They're just playing mind games to deflect. And like, I applaud this guy for um, 
trying to do something and not bringing it up as a deflection. Because we can talk about personal responsibility in black-on-black crime without deflecting. And I'm I'm glad this guy's doing that. Why, thank you so, so much, Khalil. And where are you calling from? Charlottesville, Virginia, but I'm originally from Washington, D.C. Well, we want to thank you for listening. And, of course, the Black Talk Radio Network can be heard all over the United States and across the world. And um, Khalil has a very good point about the safety of gun, and we've done several shows on the gun safety. You can refer to the archives on the um, Victims to Victorious on the Black Talk Radio Network. And, yes, firearms, (coughs) firearm use, uh, pistols, (coughs) excuse me, handguns are far more likely weapon used in homicides both locally and around the country. Most guns used in crimes are handguns. Many of them are semi-automatic variety. They can fire bullets with success, successive pulls at the trigger, and that comes from the Newport News. So um, in your work, Karen, um, to address the caller's concerns, do you feel like he does that more dialogue and education around gun safety and de-escalation behaviors would help in reducing the violence that we see? Um, I absolutely agree with that on every level. Um, And it's not just with guns. I believe that education is what leads to some type of success when it comes down to all of the problems, Um, whether it's the opioid crisis. Like a lot of these guys don't understand what it is that they're taking and why they feel the way that they feel, as well as the guns. Like they have these guns, first and foremost, where are they getting these guns from? Um, the amount of guns on the street level is outrageous. Like, like I could be on a, on a on a certain block, and if all of if all of the guys from a group was out, say it's like thirty or forty guys outside, it's thirty or forty guns outside with these guys. These guys have two and three and four and five guns on them at a time. Thirty, forty round, fifty round, hundred round clips. And they're manipulating these um they're manipulating these firearms to turn them into fully automatic. So it's it's pistols out here, handguns that with one squeeze of the trigger, the whole clip it will be empty in a matter of seconds. So um them not even knowing the safety of the gun because we have a lot of instances where guys shoot themselves by just having the gun on them and trying to get away from a situation and not having the safety of knowing how and to use the gun, how to store the gun, and things of that nature. So um, I agree. I think that we should all be educated on gun safety, um, but I don't believe in, you know, trying to deflect the issues on black-on-black crime because I'm one of the guys from the neighborhood, and I don't understand how these guys are even getting their hands on this amount or the, the large size, and it's not just handguns. Like it's real, it's real rifles out here. Forty cows, fifty cows, um, MP15, Uzis, all kind of you name it. It's out here. Um, so where are they coming from? And if it was more restrictions, more gun laws, I, I'm not a believer in arresting your way out of a situation. Like arresting your your way is a solution to some problems, but it's not the end-all, be-all to all problems. So um, I do agree. Like, if we had more education on gun safety um, and we had some stricter gun laws and if we had some 
education on gun laws, period, it would reduce some of this violence. Terrence, real quick, this this guy, this audio engineer, also former military, you're telling me there's 50 cows on the street. Yes, there's 50 cows. It's it's AK-47s out here, Russia style. It's it's baby Dracos out here. It's sawed-offs out here. And then the weapon of choice is the modified Glock. Um, They put the switch on the back, and it turns your Glock which doesn't have a safety on it anyway, into a fully automatic, into a fully automatic um, pistol. So um, yes, yeah, it's, it's just it's outrageous, it's unbelievable what's out here on these streets. Yeah, it sounds like ATF isn't doing their job to me. A fifty cal is what you use to take out heavy vehicles, tanks, even. Yeah. I, I qualified on a 50 cal, and here there is a 50 cal. You can buy a 50 cal on the streets. Maybe I'm naive or something like that, but that tells me that there is a huge underground gun market, and I'm like you. You know, how are these guns, you know, uh, being offered on the street like that? Where, oh, wow, I'm sorry. That just kind of shocked me to hear a 50 cal is available on the streets of Chicago. So one of the yeah. things that I I also um, am listening to that if the Glock has been modified, it makes it more deadly and it make it brings more morbidity and mortality. If you don't die from it, you have more gunshot wounds. So when you have more gunshot wounds, you have more injuries to your body. So you're more likely to survive. It increases the level of being paralyzed, losing organs, uh, having injuries in head injuries that don't allow you to function neurologically. Um, it's also interesting to know that you are dealing with them when they are strapped. So you don't have any paradigm or protocol to actually have them put down their weapons. You're actually asking them not to use them. Would that be a fair summary, Terrence? Um, so it is fair and uh to an extent, we are meeting these individuals where they are. Um, so it wouldn't be fair for me to come to a guy who was, quote, unquote, say I'm in fear of my life, and that's the reason for me to carry, for me to tell him not to defend himself and something to happen to him would be wrong. But as we gradually go through the steps and we create, instances and a situation where you are more secure with your safety and you have took the measures to become more safe, then then the cry goes from, okay, protect yourself to all right, we should really put this down and let's let's find something else to replace this with because you definitely have to replace that fear because they have that gun because of the fear. You have to replace that with something that's more stable. This is this is fascinating for me, and I'm sure it's fascinating for the callers and followers. Now we have about um, we have about five minutes. Well, we have about 15 minutes. I'm sorry, we have about 15 minutes to go. And for the caller, I want to thank Khalil again from Virginia. Uh, Scotty brought up the availability of jobs. Now, in finding you as a person to come on the radio, I had contact with Peter Cunningham. How is he an integral part of Chicago Cred? Um, Peter is so helpful because he's instrumental in getting our messaging out. Um, a lot of times in Chicago, it's nothing broadcast, it's nothing 
publicized but the, the negative, only the violence. Uh, and it's never nothing put out there to show what are the efforts to try to reduce these um, atrocities. And Peter and Sherry does a great job of just getting our messaging out there, what we stand for, um, what our mission is, um, and actually highlighting our successes um, as well as letting us know the numbers and what's going on in Chicago, but to to have on the side of what's going on, here are some solutions and here are some examples of some men and women who are trying to do something about it. I think it's tremendous. Uh, what you guys are doing, being able to broadcast this across the United States, it's tremendous because everyone's not going through the same type of element that we're going through in Chicago. Um, Chicago was a very diverse city, and it's, it's a lot of violence that goes on, but it's so much good that comes out of Chicago, and it just don't seem like it from abroad. So, like, if I lived overseas or I lived in another city, another state, I would just think that nothing goes on in Chicago but killing, and no one's doing anything about it when that's absolutely not the case. And Peter does a tremendous job of getting that messaging out, and I applaud him for that. Well, I applaud, I applaud him for putting in contact with me, putting you in contact with me. And on your website, you have this word called cred made. And so if viewers navigate to your site, chicagocred.org slash workforce hyphen development, um, if you can't find it, we're going too fast, uh, send me a message on Twitter. I, you can direct message, direct message me um, on Air Angel, and I'll send you all the links. Scotty also will post these links that will be embedded in uh, the Facebook page and um, other online platforms. So CredMade was created to jumpstart the local economy in these neglected neighborhoods. I'm quoting from your website. Elaborate on that for the listeners. Just before the break, we talked about the fact that your model finds people where they are, and one of the preventions is employment once you find them, you are not making referrals and hoping they go out and find a job. You're actually offering trainings and jobs. And this key, this fills the economic de- uh, disparity that you were discussing. So please explain that to the listeners in the uh, 10 minutes or so that we have left. Okay. So, um, so Craig May um, is a warehouse that we have where, the guys that go through our program um, is sent directly. The ones that that likes warehouse work and that has fast tracked their way through all of the pipeline, the cred pipeline, we send them directly to our warehouse where um, it's an extraordinary example of how community come together to help community. Like I always said, like when you when you want to make a change in a community. You have to hire from within the community. You have to spend resources in the community, and it has to be like that for it to work. So for these young men and women to be able to have an outlet um, after they go through, it's not just a pipeline. It's not just a hope, a pipe dream, and a referral system. And that goes from everything that we have as far as clinical, as far as education, educational, and workforce development. All of our resources come from within where we don't have to rely on referrals and have to wait on referrals. 
so we get to meet these guys where they are and let them know, like, there's something waiting for you at the end of the road. We're also going to look for other opportunities outside from without, but you won't have to worry about it because we definitely have opportunities from within. And that's the same thing with every level in which we work, not just the, the cred made in the warehouse, but our outreach team. Um, each year we have a program called a, a strategy called the FLIP program where we look at the most um, at-risk areas in a community and we go and we find and hire men and women from that community to kind of like community police that community. And the violence and, and the numbers is what uh, mitigates that as long as the, the level of violence is down. And we've seen that having guys work in these areas from those areas have brought the violence down. Um, and just like the success, like we track everything that we do. Um, we have a Salesforce model where we, we track everything from participation, class participation, um, outside community work, as well as what they're doing at Penn Foster, as well as the numbers and things of that for the outreach team. Um, we have different strategies, mapping strategies, where we go and we use the, the data to, to see where our work is needed. So when we see a lot of violence in the area, we go to that area, and that's the area that we work and once we begin working there, we begin a process where we enhance and entice the community. So let's start working on our community. Let's find a way that we can make the community look better, landscaping. Let's start fixing up some of these houses. Let's buy some of these houses. You know what I'm saying? When we get to that point, well, let's hire our guys from this area. And that's what makes the, the, the economic destiny real. So um, just being able to have that, at, in our tool belts, and just want to thank Arnie for the vision that he had. Um, he was, he is our leader, and he was the head of Chicago Public Schools. And I, just having conversations with him, I can understand that some of the toughest conversations that he had while he was in CPS, the head of CPS. Just released Chicago crime statistics show murders in January hit a four-year high. And the skyrocketing okay, we have some interference on that. I don't know how that happened. But that's, that's actually relevant information. Talk about um, those were some of the numbers. You've had 51, uh, 51 homicides in Chicago as of this taping. Talk about the founder a little bit, um, how he decided to have this intervention program. That's important for people to know because this, this did not come – even though you're using the public health model, this did not come from public health officials. This didn't even come from the department. This did not even come from the par Department of Justice or the police people in your neighborhood. So, can you please explain that for us, Terrence? Oh yeah. So yeah, like I was saying um, about Ernie, who who had the vision. Um, his toughest conversations was the men and young men and women that he lost of gun violence while he was the head of CPS. And um, him going to Washington with Obama, he had a thought that um, it probably couldn't get much worse than it was. He's from Chicago, so he was there during the times where it was 900 homicides a year. Um, and to see the numbers decrease, and and when he left um, Washington in 2016, it actually did get worse, where we had 808 homicides. And that's when him and... Lorraine Powell, the founder of Emerson, just came together, and they put action for 
and they 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 had this thought and this holistic approach, and they brought it, and, and it has manifested over the years. Like I said, in 2016, we began by just introducing the, the job aspect to the community without the rest of the resources. But then we learned that that didn't get us what we're trying to get to. Um, and in 2008, when they introduced the outreach component and the, the, the complete holistic approach, um, we really began to see drastic changes. Like we have been getting a 30%, 20-plus percent reduction for the last three years other than 2020, which was last year. But although 2020 was a high a high murder year in Chicago, um, one of the highest since 2016, Roseland, where I am at and where Chicago Cred is doing a lot of great things, was one of the spots in Chicago last year that still had a reduction in homicide. So, that's what we look at. Our, that's how we build our success. Like, we understand that the numbers don't lie. And if we're out there doing the work and it's violence, not even just in Chicago, violence spikes all over the United States. And in Roseland, where we're doing our work, violence still decreases, gives us the optimism to continue to do what we're doing. And, and that's how we track our success. Yes, a reduction in the morbidity and mortality is always something we're interested in, and the reduction of um, the, the reduction of the numbers of people who use quality of life. Um, that's that's also a statistic that I often bring up. If you're listening to us, we've got about four minutes to go. The website for Chicago Cred is Chicago Cred. We're saying Chicago C R E D dot org. And you can see the great things that they are doing. Terrence Henderson is our guest, and we're discussing this new innovative model that has its um, background in ceasefire and even um, cure violence. And the main difference that we're listening to is the ability to change the economic disparity in the west side and the south side of Chicago. So I also want to know, I didn't ask you this at the top of the show, and I'm sure followers and listeners will be interested to know, how did you come to be an outreach worker at Chicago Cred? Okay, I'm glad that you asked me that as well. Um, um, I've been living in Roseland since 2008. Um, I began doing outreach um, in 2012 as a peacemaker, for St. Sabina in the Auburn-Gresham area. Um, I'm from that area as well. Um, from 2012 to 2016, we were some of the guys who organized the Chicago Peace League in Auburn-Gresham was, was super successful. Um, and from then, the knowledge of knowing that I was living in Roseland, the Chicago Cred team sought me out. Like everyone that got hired from Chicago Cred was intentionally hired. So um, they came out, they interviewed me. I went through a panel um, of questions about my knowledge of Roseland and the groups that's attached to Roseland and West Pullman, and that's how I got my start. Um, 2018, June, I began as an outreach specialist, and through hard work and dedication and just uh, the complete buy-in to see change in the area where I live, I was promoted to supervisor January of 2020 and up until present. So um, that's how I got my start. And, and it's just 
it really me starting doing outreach was was me just wanting to help guys that I live around peacefully come to solutions. Like we we grew up together. It's, it's unfortunate that we're killing and shooting at each other over minor disputes when we know each other and we didn't ate with each other, slept each other's houses as young adults, young um, younger people. So, you know, just being able to see, you know, the impact having in St. Sabina with the Peace League, uh, being able to bring those four sides that was worn together through sport and the see the lasting relationships that has come from that really inspired me to know, like, man, this is really possible and I really want to do something impactful that will be lasting and it'll, it'll be helpful to my kids because my kids live in Chicago. I want Chicago to be a safer place overall. So that's just the reason why I myself got into outreach. Well, I appreciate your answer. And let the followers know how they can contact you and reach Chicago Cred should they want to, want to have concerns about violence in their neighborhoods. Okay, well, you can email me at Terrence, that's T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E, at ChicagoCred.com. And you can also check our website out, ChicagoCred.org. Um, it explains every pillar of what we're doing, why we're doing what we're doing, and where we're actually working at. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks, the caller. Thanks, the followers. We're broadcasting on the Black Talk Radio Network. My name is Angel Fall, and this is Victims to Victorious. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. Black Talk Radio, since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. Good, maybe.